Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What the news flow giveth, the news flow can taketh away. And that's the lesson of the day where the Dow backslid 110 points. S&P shed 0.63%. NASDAQ lost 1.04%. Yesterday's stocks roared after we got some soft economic news, a weak purchasing manager report that suggested the Fed might be able to ease up with that lockstep rate hike nonsense. Remember, bad news right now is good news, which is why the market zoomed higher Thursday. Then President Trump tweeted about how we've got an excellent dialogue going with China on trade, which got all the tech stocks roaring. Today was the polar opposite, though. First, we got some chatter that Trump was asking his cabinet members to prepare for a Chinese trade deal. Great news, right? So stocks surged at the opening. But then Larry Cutler, the president's chief economic advisor, came on halftime with Scott Wapner and refuted the story. Not so great. Stocks plummet. Then the president told us we could be maybe reaching a very good deal with China, making the initial story sound accurate, and the market roared back. But it didn't get us back to even. It was all very confusing. But you know what wasn't confusing? What was straightforward? When the Labor Department released its smoking hot non-farm payroll report at 830, 250,000 new jobs were created. Wall Street was expecting only 190,000. Average hourly earnings increased by 3.1%. Believe me, in this world of Wall Street, that scares people. Good news is bad news because it greenlights the Fed to slap on three extra rate hikes next after December's increase. So everything that rallied yesterday wilted today, and the fallout was immense. I'm just surprised we didn't go down even more, especially since Apple stock got eviscerated, world's largest company, eviscerated, even though the company reported an upside surprise. Why? Because the guidance was a little squishy, while the strong dollar, the political tensions with China, and the timing of the new phone launches did cause some trepidation. More importantly, Apple said it would stop disclosing unit sales of iPhones and, and a lot of other their, of their uh, different products. And that was something that gave people the impression that something must be very wrong. Why would you do that if it weren't? I'm not changing my view, though. Own Apple, don't trade it. I believe the company will be buying back boatloads of its stock next week, and you probably want to join in. Was it perfect? No. More on that later. But, man, Apple's much cheaper than its fang fellow travelers, and it's doing very well, so please don't overthink it. Now, aside from getting ready to buy some Apple, what else should we be thinking about for next week? Okay, first of all, we start Monday evening with Marriott. Now, there's something strange afoot here. You could normally bank on this hotel company to beat numbers, but it failed to do so last time around, and the stock's down 11% for the year. That's a lot for this very solid chain. You know, I pulled up with Arnie Sorensen. He's the terrific CEO at Dreamforce at the end of September in San Francisco. And while he obviously didn't tell me anything about how the quarter's going, it was a good reminder that he's doing a fabulous job. And that includes using some of the latest technology from Salesforce and others to help his customers get everything they want before they ask for it. And that is quite a feat. Tuesday is a slew of earnings reports, but let's not bury the lead. It's election day. 
I don't like doing armchair political analysis, but if the Republicans manage to hold on to both houses of Congress, I think we'll see a huge rally in the defense stocks, which have been terrible performers. If you're banking on a GOP victory, you know what you should do? You should buy Northrop Grumman or Raytheon or both. Um, They had spectacular quarters. We just got the numbers, yet their stocks got punished anyway. How about if the Democrats prevail? Honestly, the market likes gridlock, so that could be a reason to rally all by itself. On the other hand, the market's less enthusiastic about House Oversight Committee investigations into the White House. Let's call it a wash. Back to earnings. Tuesday morning, we hear from Ralph Lauren and CVS Health. I think they'll both be superb. High-end apparel is on fire, and Lauren's terrific new management has been closing underperforming stores while shortening the amount of time it takes for newly designed clothes to hit the shelves. As for CVS, it's merging with Aetna to create a drugstore-slash-health insurance powerhouse. I'd be a buyer both before and after the quarter. After the close, we get results from Twilio and Etsy, two regular guests on the show that reported blockbuster numbers last time around. We visited Twilio recently and learned how to code. It's the engine behind Airbnb, Uber, so many other great apps. Etsy is the Amazon for all sorts of handcrafted goods. I think they're both spectacular companies. But a word to the wise, even after the big meltdown, Twilio's stock has more than tripled and Etsy's more than doubled this year. Lately, winners tend to get punished even if their earnings are good. So maybe if you really want to buy either one of these, you wait till after they report. Wendy's reports, too, and the quick-serve restaurants have been putting up some fabulous numbers of late. McDonald's is doing a great job. More on that later. But I also like Wendy's, and I'd be a buyer if the stock is down going into the quarter. On Wednesday, we hear from Humana, and this is one of the best-run health insurance companies on Earth. Humana repeatedly shot the lights out all year and last year and the year before and the year before. I bet they'd do it again. Then Qualcomm reports after the close, the huge communications chip maker has been buying back vast quantities of stock. Let's listen to here if it's been worth it. And to learn more about U.S.-Chinese trade tensions, not to mention Qualcomm's battles with Apple, uh, they're locked in a vicious patent fight that could seem like, well, I don't know, it never ceases. It has to end sometime, though. The problems with China have bled into the world of the big casinos with exposure to Macau, and none is bigger than Wynn Resorts. Wynn used to be the best-run casino. Steve Wynn used to run it. But now the company seems like it's floundering. I wouldn't touch it, particularly with trade tensions. Take-Two Interactive reports, too, and they just released their latest mega blockbuster game, Red Dead Redemption 2. We'll get our first official look at how it's selling. CEO Strauss Zelnick almost never goes out on a limb. But, you know, he repeatedly told us right here on Mad Money that this one would be a big winner. So far, the game's off to a spectacular start. We're going to learn more about its staying power. Thursday's a day that many of us have been waiting for because the Walt Disney Company reports after the bell. I think management will give us a look at the new Disney, the one with the key Fox assets. I'm very excited about this call, and I would absolutely be a buyer of the stock so long as it doesn't run too much going into the quarter. No longer will Disney's narrative be controlled by the stories and the vicissitudes of ESPN. That's a huge achievement in and of itself. Finally, Friday, we get the producer price index, which is the only number left that could potentially give us some hope that the Fed won't need to keep raising interest rates after December. I think the commodity inflation might actually be peaking in this country, thanks to, in part to a precipitous decline in the price of oil. Holy cow, do you see how bad that's doing? And lots of metals and wood. However, if the number's too hot on Friday, that will justify more rate hikes, and the market will indeed get slammed. Here's the bottom line. This market punishes you for having too much conviction. When we get too negative, we're blindsided by positive developments. When we get too optimistic, we get hit with days like today. I bet next week gives us more of the same. How about we go to Bruce in Florida? Bruce! Booyah, Jim. How are you from Palm Beach? Oh, man, I'm real good. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm calling in regards to the retail sector. I'm calling in regards to a company we both know well. You had the CEO on. 
on your segment there. I'm calling in regards to five below. Stocks recently had a nice run up. Obviously, a couple gaps in the chart. Uh, I did what you said and got rid of 50% when the stock crossed the 130s. My my thing is, it just recently reversed below the 50-day. We got Trump looking to raise tariffs to 25% come January. We got Lassa from UBS writing that if five below, maybe could sell for 5% in in, in earning bids because of these 25% tariffs. You got the Fed raising interest rates. What do I do, Jim? Well, Bruce, I got to tell you, I think this company and its stock is down gigantic. I was just in Philadelphia the other day talking about why I think this is such a bargain. It's down 16 points from its high. It's only worth $6 billion and change. I think the five below is a good situation. Buy half and then wait for a price break. How about we go to Ryan in Ohio? Ryan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Hey, I'm calling about a, a full-service cargo airline based in Wilmington, Ohio. They're currently flying prime-colored airplanes for Amazon, down 5% today after Q3 earnings miss, and there's a lot of speculation of Amazon wanting to be in the airline business. Well, i got to tell you, I would, you know, if you just had a shortfall, you can't go in and buy something. That tends to be something that does not work, and I don't think that that's worth speculating in. Uh, and I'm going to have to take a pass and suggest that you don't buy, don't buy, don't All right. buy. What the news flow giveth, it can take it away. And you don't want to be too negative, but please don't be a, a cockeyed optimist either. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Apple had its worst day in two years after its decision to withhold unit sales and some squishy guidance. Could the stock make a comeback? I'm cutting to the core of what matters this earnings season. Give my take. Then, this stock was one of the Dow's best performers during the terrible month of October. I'm taking a bite of, no, McDonald's. And I'm loving it. And just companies in this, uh, companies that do well can make you money if you invest in the Just ETF. So I'm going to talk to Just Capital, the organization on a mission to make the issues America cares about front and center with Paul Tudor Jones. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Who has pricing power and who doesn't? That question has defined this entire earnings season. If a company can raise prices and sell its wares still, that's a company that is worth betting on. Buy, buy, buy! Now, Apple stock has been absolutely crushed today. Uh, it's just downright laid to waste. So I know this may sound totally ridiculous to you, but no one took price, was able to raise prices more this quarter, better than Apple. 
I know because Apple actually reveals this kind of data right in its release. The average selling price for the iPhone came in at $793, up $175, $175 from last year, and much higher than the $751 number Wall Street was looking for. Looking at the stocks nearly 7% decline today, you would think they were losing money on every phone. But it's the opposite. Apple's coining money with the iPhone. And in terms of gross profit, they're making even more from that service revenue stream, which hit $9.9 billion this quarter, up 17% versus last year. Com- compare that right now to a company like Kraft Heinz. That's much less in sync with younger consumers. Millennials hate processed food, which is one reason this company saw its pricing decline by 0.9%. In other words, Kraft Heinz has very little pricing power, and that's why its stock plunged nearly 10% today. Unless they can find another business to acquire and then start slicing costs. I think this company's boxed into a corner, the corner of the supermarket that no one goes to anymore. Kraft Times saving grace is Cheese Whiz, which goes on top of a Geno's cheesesteak in Philly. Please remember to say Whiz Wit so you don't screw it up. Tell them Kramer sent you. What else? Take-Two Interactive has pricing power. Their newest game, Red Dead Redemption 2, raked in $725 million this past weekend, which is the second biggest launch in video game history right after Take-Two's last major title, Grand Theft Auto V. But Kimberly Clark is having trouble taking price in its diaper business. Yep, the company is being beaten to a pulp, <laughs> pun intended, by private label diapers, especially in China. So Take-Two's got it, and then boom, Kimberly doesn't. Hey, how about this? The latest quarter from Starbucks this morning, it reveals they can take price, right? In fact, the price of coffee seems pretty elastic in this country. That's a big reason why the stock is flying at a big move today. I think Starbucks, even after this day, has a lot more room to run. And then there's Facebook. For all the sturm and drang about the ridiculously bad behavior management has, Facebook is pricing power because it reaches the key demographic that advertisers covet. They want to get you while you're still young and impressionable, which is something newspapers and magazines don't really offer anymore. That said, how important is pricing power really? All right, let's talk more about Apple. It got obliterated today despite the big boost in its average selling price. But long-term, I think it does matter. Apple just had a couple of short-term concerns that I think threw people off the bullish scent. First, because of timing issues related to different styles of new phones, the forecast seemed a little disappointing. But some of that is pure caution, and there are timing issues that really do matter. Second, Apple decided to stop giving out the numbers of phones it sells each quarter, which stunned investors. As I told you earlier, I still believe you should own Apple, not trade it. However, this decision to tell you less about sales was conveyed quite poorly. Because when you combine it with the cautious timing issue that they mentioned, it really does give you the impression that something's wrong here. And Apple's worried about its own sales. I don't think that's true. I like as much disclosure as possible. But I don't blame Apple for this decision. People need to stop analyzing this like it's a tech hardware company. I regard Apple as the greatest consumer packaged goods play on Earth. Like a better version of Procter & Gamble. And you don't see Procter & Gamble giving you the number of Gillette razors it sells every quarter. My advice now is to let this stock settle down. Give the sellers who don't believe Tim Cook's explanation eh, a couple more days to get out. Then, if you don't own it, I'd start buying it. Remember, Apple is the world's biggest buyback, and next week, I bet you they will be in there repurchasing this stock right alongside you. Stick with me. Coming up, McDonald's is shaking up the menu. But should you be hungry for the stock? Kramer gives his take with onions on the side. Next. We're America's favorite, number one. Where else could you have so much fun? (laughs) They were the pioneers who made food fast and served billions worldwide. 
in the face of furious competition, are the arches looking old? Or is McDonald's a golden opportunity for investors? Now that we've turned the page on the heinous month of October, not that today was anything great to shake about, where the S&P 500 lost more than 7% of its value. You know what? I think it's worth remembering that not everything was bad. Not everything was down. In fact, while the rest of the market was getting crushed, there were a few winners that managed to defy the gravitational pull of the averages. Companies that reported terrific numbers and had great guidance. You may not have noticed because some of these, uh, they, well, they had the misfortune of announcing their earnings when all hell was breaking loose. So tonight what I like to do when this happens is I like to circle back to one of my favorites. At the beginning of last week when the averages were collapsing, McDonald's reported a spectacular quarter. And its stock soared higher in spite of a very negative day. Thanks to the resulting rally, McDonald's was one of the top five performers in the Dow last month, with the stock up 5.7%. Why does this matter? Because if a stock can rally when everything's falling apart, imagine what it can do when the dust settles. So I think McDonald's has more room to run. I'm going to explain why. First, you need to understand that the long-term story here was uh, not so great. After years of underperformance under the old regime, McDonald's started experiencing a spectacular turnaround after Kramer fave Steve Easterbrook took over as CEO in 2015. Easterbrook started by improving the menu. Then he got the franchisees on board so important, those really the core of the company, with a series of initiatives designed to gin up more business, all-day breakfast, new technology to improve throughput, a value meal with incredibly cheap offerings, digital ordering, kiosks, even delivery. And look, Easterbrook delivered. The comeback is undeniable. In 2014, McDonald's saw its same-store sales shrink by 1%. Last year, they grew by 5.3%. The margins have exploded higher. The earnings are growing at a surprisingly rapid pace. That is why I've been such a big backer of the stock. You know what else he did? He laid out what uh, he calls the experience of the future plan. This company is spending this money, their money to improve their existing restaurants and ultimately open 1,000 new locations. Basically, management told us that they'd be taking their savings from tax reform and using it to bolster the company's growth over the long haul. Because so many shareholders tend to be short-sighted, they dump the stock. You know what shareholders want. They want the big buyback, the dividend. Easterbrook was thinking about the future. Plus, McDonald's told us all this, uh, what was considered to be negative stuff, right at the time of the hideous correction. So the stock plunged from 178 down to 146 over the next few weeks. And while it quickly bounced off the lows, it then spent months stuck in the, between the 150s and 160s. By the way, I pounded the table on McDonald's in March, not long after having a delicious egg McMuffin. And since then, the stock's up about 10%, trouncing the S&P 500 over the same period. Good timing with that McMuffin. Now, the next quarter was really good, but the stock couldn't get traction. The second quarter in late July was more mixed. While the headline numbers were strong, McDonald's had one key disappointment, the U.S. same-store sales. They increased by just 2.6%. Analysts were looking for 3%. You know, really, it was a minor blemish. The kind of my mother always told me that I'd get if I didn't wash my face after eating McDonald's French fries. How did she come up with something like that? Um, but, but it was enough to ding the stock for a couple percent. After that, though, McDonald's started climbing. It has not looked back. The most recent leg of this move came a week and a half ago when the company reported a true blowout quarter right in the teeth of the stock market's meltdown. It's like the only stock that went up that day. McDonald's delivered an 11-cent earnings beat of a $1.99 basis. Not bad, right? And when you exclude the impact of last year's restructuring moves, it translates into 19% growth for this old horse. 
Revenues, higher than expected. Global same-store sales, up 4.2% versus the 3.6% number the analysts wanted, thanks to some real strength overseas and some decent performance in the U.S. Oh, and McDonald's announced a 15% dividend boost for good measure. This has always been one of the better-yielding stocks. It yields 2.65% at these levels. But the real key here is that Steve Easterbrook put nearly all of Wall Street's worries to rest. He launched a powerful delivery initiative. It's a partnership with Uber Eats. It's expanded to 15,000 locations, and some of their key markets that already accounts for 10% of sales. And they're seeing a lot of repeat business. This is a big spur. He also proceeded with a, this gigantic remodeling program. Eastbrook tells us, and I quote, when all of these elements are in place at a restaurant, we are seeing improvements in sales and guest count, end quote. He goes on, we've seen steady improvements in overall customer satisfaction, and in particular in the U.S. restaurants, which have put in place all of the growth strategy initiatives. These restaurants were achieving significant growth in both new customers and frequency of visits by existing customers, end quotes. That is huge, people. Just this year, they converted 3,000 locations in the U.S. alone. CFO uh, Kevin Ozan says they are set to surpass their goal of 4,000 conversions by year end. By the end of next year, McDonald's is supposed to have converted over 15,000 of its locations worldwide. That's about 40% of the total. In short, the thing that everybody was worried about nine months ago was actually a positive, not a negative, the spending to improve the stores. And that's not the only worry McDonald's has put to rest. But management told us they expect commodity cost pressures, which everybody's scared about, right, to ease somewhat next quarter. Not quite, but ease. And while the remodelings have increased the company's labor costs, eh, they expect the problem to go away next year. You know all those self-serving service kiosks? That's automation. And it means McDonald's is less of a hostage to the labor market. Perhaps most important, McDonald's sold its Chinese business last year. But they also included an agreement to help the China's franchisees expand dramatically. This was a brilliant move, and the company doesn't get enough credit for it. Not only are they immunized against the trade war, those McDonald's China stores belong to Chinese owners, but they also get a new growth vehicle because they still profit from the franchises. Here's the bottom line on this remarkable story. We know McDonald's is firing on all cylinders, and this company has no need to worry about the trade war or the Federal Reserve, which is why its stock could go higher today when the rest of the market was pulling back. And you know what? I don't think it's done. I think McDonald's has a lot more to come. Sebastian in New Jersey. Sebastian. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. So back in May, I graduated from college. Then a month after, I bought Shake Shack. Earnings just came out. And they beat estimates, estimates, but the stock still fell. I was wondering if I should take my losses and invest in a stock like a like something steady with a dividend, or hold on to Shake Shack. Well, you know what? I, first of all, I, I'm, I don't care for the stock because I like exactly what you said. McDonald's got a better dividend. McDonald's got a better performance record. But remember, what happens when it comes to restaurants is it's the same store sales is the metric, not the earnings. And the same store sales at McDonald's, you may not like. I mean, I happen to like Shake Shack more than McDonald's in terms of the burger. But that's not what this is about. It's about the metric of same-store sales. Let's go to George in Florida. George. Hi, Jim. First-time caller, long-time listener. Thanks for your constant help. First-time, long-time. I bought Budweiser about a month ago, and they cut their dividend in half, so I sold. I bought Coors or Molson TAP. I was intrigued by their stated interest in cannabis. Do you think I can get a Rocky Mountain high, or should I go elsewhere? Well, you, Thanks, they did report a decent quarter, and we were going to work on a uh, a piece about it. I told my team maybe we should do something, and literally that's where we are. My problem is this. Constellation grows much faster and is a much more forward-looking company. 
If you want a beer stock, I'm going to have to send you to STZ. And that's Rob Sands has put together the fantastic Modelo Corona franchise for America. McDonald's is firing all cylinders, people. And I think it's got a lot more upside. So I don't have money. This market's getting hard to navigate. What are they doing? Let's sit down with Paul Tudor Jones. Get his take on the driving forces and which way the tape could be headed, as well as a fantastic ETF that he's put together. Then big names like Microsoft, Twitter, and Spotify use this company to be their guiding light. I'm talking Foursquare. Sit down with the CEO. Now all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. such a hard week. Now we're going to do something good. Does investing have to be fundamentally amoral? My job is to help you become a better investor, which often means identifying stocks that can go higher, even if they, uh, let's say, belong to companies that are sometimes morally indefensible. But does it have to be this way? What if business could do well by doing good? That's the thesis of Just Capital, J-U-S-T. That's the nonprofit research organization that produces rankings and data-driven tools to help you identify companies that actually try to do the right thing. In a couple of weeks, they've come out with their, they're going to come up with their top 100 list, and they recently just put out an ETF called, it's ETF J-U-S-T. This is so exciting. The crazy thing, over time, most of Just Capital's indices have outperformed their benchmarks. Blew my mind. Maybe you don't need to be some kind of Machiavellian monster to consistently beat the market. Do not take it from me. This is so exciting. Let's check in with Paul Tudor Jones. He's the visionary hedge fund manager and all-around great guy who conceived of the incredible Robin Hood Foundation that does so much good for the unfortunate, as well as being the co-founder of Just Capital. You got to learn more about this. Mr. Jones, welcome to Man Money. I'm very excited to have you. Great Thank you, Paul. Here. Thank you. Uh, Before I go, you're going to let me go hit one of those buttons. Of course. Right? you I've kidding me? That's why we set him up. <laughs> <laughs> have a seat. Uh, it is an honor to have you. And, and I wish people just knew all the great things that you do. And both my, my wife and I are so proud to even be, to know you. And well, you're very, you you're very kind. And this idea that you've done here, I think, is very much in sync and can bridge a lot of. Uh, Republican, Democrat, can bridge a, a young and old. I'm going to give you the floor because okay. when I heard about this, and it was from Dan Hesse, mutual friend, yep. it just sounded like such a good idea. So five years ago, as a parent even then, I think that capitalism needed to be modernized. Uh, you could just see the, the wealth disparity, even at that point in time, was getting something that was causing social fissures and ruptures in our society. Fast forward to where we are today, it's Obviously, I, I don't think I've seen this kind of social tumult since I was in uh, a kid in, my, in the 60s and 70s. So it, it's and, and, and the, it, so we need to change things. How are you going to get social change? OK, so the biggest way is there's a 19 trillion dollar private economy. It's four times the size of the public sector. It's 40 times the size of the philanthropic sector. If we're going to have true social change, it's going to come through the private sector. Um, and I think that's where uh, Just Capital comes in. And boy, now's the time we need it. I just saw this, um, I just saw this poll, uh, 51% of millennials from 18 to 29 either don't believe or oppose to capitalism. Don't believe or oppose Yeah, your show's going to have a viewership of about 15 oh in oh, about 10 or 15 where, years. Where the, no, we got to change things. Capitalism is a force of good. Business is a I know, force of good. I know, but, but we're off the tracks, okay. right? You've got, right, so you got half the country left behind. So here's right. what we did. So uh, 
the way that you change things is that you've got to first go to the American people. And that's what we did. We said, what, kind, what is it that you want to see that defines corporate justness? And we went five years ago. We began polling. Since then, we polled over 80,000 Americans. And we found out from them what are the key drivers in social and corporate justness that define a just company. Okay. We've got workers, customers, products, environment, jobs, communities, leadership, and shareholders in that order. Yeah. So the, the most interesting thing, and the reason why this is really interesting to your audience, is that if you take the top three things that the public cares about, and the first is worker pain treatment. Do you pay them a living wage? Do you pay them a good wage? And do you treat them well? Secondly, uh, the products, are they socially beneficial products with a reasonable price and reasonable cost? And then the third, the like. and, and then how do you treat your customer along the sales chain? Are they always right, which they should be? Those three things comprise 60% of the metrics in our index. So then we, we took those metrics that we every year we poll the public and reconfirm. The thing is we found the same thing. It's the same metrics over and over again. It doesn't make any difference whether women or men, rich or poor, old or young, they all say the same thing. The number one most important, worker pay and treatment. Doesn't it, doesn't, doesn't it make sense that therefore they get the best people, which therefore produce the best products and therefore produce the best stocks? All right, and so get, get this. If you take... Those, just those three metrics, the other is important. You take those three metrics, just like you said, it's a great business model. Yeah. So then we take, we took the, Russell, the 1,000 largest companies, the Russell 1,000. We break them up into their individual sectors, and then we take the top half of each sector. Every year we re-rank, take the top half. Right. And that composes the just index which this ETF tracks. And so our people are watching, if they feel like you do, they buy shares in this. Now, right, well, hold on, hold okay, on. Okay. Here's the great punchline. On average, those companies earn 7% more return on equity than the ones in the bottom half. And, of course, you know our returns on equity translates right. to booyah, <laughs> higher prices. Well, you and, know what this says to me? This is an index with a heart. Well, here's a chance to do, to do good, feel good, and hopefully make money. Now, I have no idea what this index is going to do in the future. What I can tell you is that his historical performance is that since we've had the index live for the past two years, it's outperformed the Russell and the S&P 500 by about 4 and 3.5% respectively. The current constituents have outperformed the Russell 1000 since 2007 by almost 50%. And again, it makes sense, right? right. When you think about the top three drivers, find great people, pay them a lot of money, get them to make great products, treat their customers well. It's a simple, intuitive business model. We just did a paper. So this outperformance, 83% of it, 83% of the outperformance is pure alpha. Pure, okay. It's not momentum factors. Right. It's not value factors. Right. It's not growth factors. It's alpha. Well, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Now, really look, well, I've got you. I have to ask you. Yeah. I mean, you've been saying, I, I understand, it, it's not a bad time to invest in general, right? Right. So, so... I mean, just in terms of investing, again, if I knew I was going to have an equity allocation, I would seriously, and again, I think the, uh, the just index, gosh, every 
state CIO who has an environmental social governance this component. This is they do it. I mean, my Lord, here, here this is, this is, this is the one they should be looking at. And I think, again, for them it's a natural. If you know you're going to have an equity allocation, this should compete with any kind of allocations to any other indices, S&P 500, NASDAQ, uh, Russell 2000, et cetera. If we just think about the stock market, here's when everyone says, what do you think about the stock market? Are we going to go into a bear market? Right. I kind of use, I go back and I think about the 99-2000 top, the 06-07 tops. Obviously, what typically starts bear markets is interest rates get so high right. they click it. We're clearly going through a tightening cycle. Right. At some point, they're going to stop. Okay. So in 2000, when they stopped, the market went back and retested the old highs. In 07, when they stopped, excuse me, in 06, when they stopped, uh, the market went on 18% for another 18 months. So I don't know if we're going to replay it at the same but time. The, but I don't want, your message sounds like to me that it's okay time. I think it's, I think that you'll have a chance to see the old highs revisited if and when and if before time. we go into a bear market. And, why, yeah. and, and so, so, again, I'm thinking through the end of the tightening cycle, the pause, the excitement around that pause, right. and then I think, boy, then you got to pay attention. Oh. Then, then you got to pay All attention. Right. All right. right. We'll probably rally after whenever they finish. Then you have to pay attention. Okay. Well, we will certainly maybe have you back for, the just, for a just Can pause. Can I just say something? Sure. When we need to be back on here is – December 11th, the day after these next rankings, because the way we're going to change corporate behavior is you got to quit talking about earnings. We've got to start talking about justness. Okay, and I hope this is the new world for hedge funds, right? They're so underperforming, yeah. they should just be in just capital. Put your well. I can't. I. I don't want. Yes. I, look. I think it's a great. I think it's a great index. Well, you know what? It is just a joy to have you. Uh, you're a humble man. I have to say that this man has probably done more for the unfortunate than anyone that I've ever met. That's Paul Tudor Jones, Just Capital founder, co-chairman, and chief investment officer. There's a ton of work, ton of different things that you can learn about the facts and, of course, the companies themselves. Mad Money is back after the break. Let's go hit a button. All right, let's go hit a button. <laughs> <laughs> Which one should I hit? Oh. <laughs> there we go. Uh, That's awesome. Thank That's you, awesome. Buddy. Thank right. you so Calling all veterans, Monday, November 12th, we are having a very special Veterans Day show, and we want you to be part of it. Visit cnbc.com slash Day for your free tickets. And now it is time. It is time for the 90th round. Okay, what's about? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Okay, we're going to start with Barney, North Carolina. Barney! Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Quite welcome. I'm, I'm calling about ALNY, uh, Amalam Pharmaceuticals. You're buying, that is like, one of, you know, we have some biotech stocks that are down huge, like an Amgem, which my travel trust owns. You can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. I would much rather own Amgem down 20 straight points. That's your play. George in Washington. George. Hey, Jim Kramer. How are you? I am good, partner. What's going on with you? Good, thanks. I'm doing well. 
um, Mr. Kramer. Yes. Microsoft. It seems like they reported a good quarter. They reported a great quarter, but then remember what happened is we got caught up in some sort of tech battle. It's come back down. It's time to buy. Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, uh, my stock is Golar, ticker symbol. No, too uh, risky, too crazy. We're not going to go there anymore. I mean, we got a whole natural gas situation going, but it's not necessarily anything I want you to pull the trigger on. Let's go to Rich in Illinois. Rich! Hi, Jim. Thanks for calling. Of course. Uh, let's see. The more, more volatile markets are, the happier I appreciate you. The question, uh, the, the stock I have is a company called ResMed. Oh, and Mick. For many That's years, Mick, I was worried. Mick, 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 Mick Farrell. He is sensational. They have done such a good job. I'm going to get him back on. The stock was about half of where it is now. He said to buy it. He was so right. Kevin in Connecticut. Kevin. Yes, sir. Yo, Kev. What's up? How are you, Jim? I am real good. How about you? Great. So my question is regarding Pitney Bowes. Who's at a 52 Yeah, you know, it's an $8 dollar has- stock that has not proven itself. And I got to tell you, when they haven't proven themselves long term, I, I am not going to get behind it. I will say this. If they want to come back on and they want to tell us why that last quarter looked pretty good, they are always going to be welcome. But I got to tell you, it's been a real bad stock. And let's go to Tayak in Washington. Tayak. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Well, no in problem. In my financial world, you are my physician because you give me preventive care through education when the market is calm and you give me treatment when the market is turbulent. I'm trying to get, I'm, I'm developing a school. Max, you develop a school, maybe get a little certificate after you go through it. Let's go. Let's go to work. I have a two-part question today. Ross stores held up pretty well during October sell-off. It hit 52-week high on October 31st. Do you consider Ross a stock to accumulate more going into the future? Oh. I'm going to give you a sweeper. I like Ross. I like TJX. And I also like Burlington, which was downgraded today by a mistake. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Hey, old Kurt! <laughs> it's Halloween. <laughs> In course, you can hear me. I have Snickers, I have Three Musketeers, and I've got Milky Ways. No way. Basically, the administration is taking what I call the goldfinger approach to China, as in, you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. The stocks are something like Donna Summer, because when they're bad, they're so, so bad. In the old days, internet companies used to give away their content for free because they made their money selling advertising. That was the gig. These days, though, there's another step. They collect and sell data so they can so that someone else can make ads that are even more targeted. Consider the case of Foursquare, the privately held location intelligence company. You probably remember Foursquare as the app, now known as Swarm, that allows users to check in to places that they visit. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Now, this company collects location of location data on millions of users and then sells other businesses 
developer tools to let them harness that data. They got to deal with Tinder. Really interesting, which uses Foursquare to connect prospective matches. And just yesterday, they announced a partnership with TripAdvisor to help them make hyper-personalized recommendations, which is really the way the game is played now. Yeah, yesterday, we got a chance to speak with Jeff Glick. He's the CEO, again, of the privately held Foursquare to learn all about the data economy. Take a look. Jeff, since we checked in with you last, you've got a whole new slew of products. You've got one with TripAdvisor, and you also have one with Tinder. Both of these seem like logical derivations of what of all the data you have. So Foursquare is a location technology platform, and Jim, you're right. We help thousands of other companies bring location into their services in a personalized way. So this week we announced we're part of TripAdvisor's major upgrade to make travel recommendations more social. They're using our Pilgrim technology to enhance their technology so that if you're near a place your friend recommends in Austin or Brooklyn, maybe a great bar in Brooklyn, San Miguel, then, uh, then you know, you'll get an alert thanks to Pilgrim technology. You're just around the corner. You've got to check this place out. So everything we do is about helping consumer services be more personalized and what we say contextually aware. So we're helping AccuWeather as well and upgrade their app in a way that uh, understands where you are and okay. Well, what I mean, I have that. I mean, yeah. is that a microclimate? I mean, what are they? What are they determining for me? So with Pilgrim, we understand the difference between, say, being in the CNBC studios mid-afternoon or maybe at Eagle Stadium. Okay. And and so you know the fact that it's going to rain in ten minutes is different when you're at a baseball game than when you're at work mid-afternoon. Right. And so bringing that location context to everything we do is what Foursquare is all about: understanding what's around you and whether it's new or a familiar place, and just bringing personalized, relevant content to you. Now, uh, talk about Tinder because we have a lot of youthful viewers, and uh, they might be using Tinder, but they might have the, something now that's really a step up from the kind of, you know, mundane way that it's used. So uh, we work with Tinder on their new Tinder Places rollout, and that's not in all cities. It's okay. in pilot in a bunch of cities. And the difference with Tinder Places is that old Tinder was about who, who do I want to meet, let's right. say, within five miles. Right. The, the new Tinder Places is about what places do I love to go and, and what do I have in common with someone else. So maybe we're going to suggest that you pair with someone who goes to the same dog park that you do every morning and the same local cold brew coffee spot. And so you have something in common. And in the early Tinder Places results, we're seeing better matches. You know, people have something in common, and so they're, they're more reciprocal. Now, younger people, look, for someone like me, it's like, wow, I don't know. Uh, would I really want everyone to know this or that? But then I, we sat down with PayPal, and PayPal talked about how people like uh, when they do Venmo, they have they have to show where they've been. There seems to be something among uh, a group of millennials yeah. that they want want people to know where they are, and therefore it's more what communal. What is it? What is the essence of why people want to know where what's going on and where they are versus my generation, where we never thought about it? I, I think you've you've nailed it, which is that for different people opting into location sharing or sharing you know, your payments like Venmo Friends allows, uh, that's something that's very personal. And so for us, it's always been the user has to be in control. The user has to have adequate chance to opt in and know and know how it's going to benefit them. And that's, that's how we work with companies. And so uh, you know, what we see is about 50 to 70 percent of people opt in to these enhanced location alerts. Like you've got a coupon or you know, we work with, with uh, the Hilton app to recommend places nearby. Uh, we work with the points guy in their new rollout so you know which credit card to use when you arrive at a certain right. gas station to get triple points. So you can opt into these services and, and they're, they're front and center. So you get alerts based on 
where you and are. And we're talking about worldwide. And this is, and worldwide, we support this in 200 countries. We understand 100 million places where your phone can arrive or leave. And but it's a choice. It's a choice for consumers. And then, um, you know, 30 to 50% of people, depending on the service, choose not to. And then we'd never collect any location data. Okay, so but so I'm in London in last week, and I'm completely lost. I don't, I have no idea what I want to do, but I know that I want to, I, I want to explore. Would, would I be best uh, with, for, uh, for Condé Nast Traveler or for TripAdvisor finding out more about my area through you? Well, you always have the Foursquare City Guide, our right. classic nine-year-old app. But increasingly... But that's what a lot of people think you are. This stuff's much more interesting to me. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the business is 99% about helping other brands reach their audiences at scale. You're absolutely right, Jim. And so, you know, whether we're helping Condé Nast Traveler or Hilton honors app users or we're helping TripAdvisor now be more contextually aware in the travel industry, in the weather industry, you know, in the dating industry with Tinder, you know, we're, we're helping all these other apps be more contextually aware. People think maybe uh, I don't use Foursquare anymore, they might think, but if you, if you uh, tag a tweet on right. Twitter, if you get a geofilter on Snapchat, uh, you know, if you participate in Tinder places, these are all services that we are helping uh, create. I mean, is, it, it feels like Twilio to me. I don't know I'm Twilio, but they sure get it done for me. And that's what you guys have been doing. You just have, must have reams. You probably have the most data of any company in terms of location-based. I think other than Google and Facebook, we, we are the Switzerland. We are the, the sort of platform that everyone who's not Google or Facebook want to use because we understand the whole world's places. And we understand different floors of buildings, right. where you go in malls. It's very hard technology. And so really only Google, Facebook, and Foursquare have this precision globally. Right. Well, I sure hope one day that our, our viewers can have shares in it. It's a private company, but it's done everything right. Thank you to Jeff Glick, CEO of Foursquare. Every time we see it, it's really kind of exciting what you guys are up to. It's fun to be you. back. Jim. Yes. Stay with them, Mike. A company with the biggest buyback in the world, Apple, will probably be in there buying next week. I think you'll let the sellers skedaddle a little bit more and then you buy along with them if you do not own any Apple. It was a fine quarter. Let's not overthink this. They are doing exactly what we want from a company. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.